Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Brian fell through the floor. I do remember. All oh, the floorboards yeah. had rotted. Yeah. I could have been in the back. I wouldn't have been a Hello and welcome. This is episode 17 of the Paul Ryder Tapes. I'm Angela Smith. I'm the ex-wife of Paul Ryder. And in the months leading up to his death, he sat down with me to tell his complete whole life story all of the great things and all of the struggles with no stone left unturned and we finished recording his story just 12 days before he suddenly passed away. Coming up in this episode. People phoned Nathan and uh, said what special catering does the band want? (laughs) And special catering meant what drugs right. do they do? And they did a really good job as well. <laughs> Every show. He came off the phone, he was in shock. And I was like, you know, you're supposed to be on stage in like two hours time and you've just received this news. Do you not want to just go home? And and he was like, I don't know what to do. And it was, it was, it was, the, most awful, it was the most awful gig I'd ever been to. I remember Paul on the phone to me that night and he couldn't talk to me for crying. And then Derek heard me and he came, you know, to the phone and it was, it was awful. All great bass players are a spine of a band, but a really great bass player is something else. It's, it's on top of that. And the, dan- the dance ability of the Mondays comes from the bass lines. I thought I'd be there at 27 to join the 27 club. (laughs) Then it was like, oh, I'm not dead. Uh, Maybe I'll be dead by 30. And I hit 30 and like, oh, I'm still alive. Then it was like 40. And uh, now I'm 57. I'd be interested to see how much it sells for. Are we recording? Yeah. Okay, so we're here in a brand new studio brand new location love it nice you've got a nice bottom light oh lovely on your right and then we've got french cinema posters on the walls i remember buying those i remember buying those (laughs) (laughs) that's the one i want oh well i'm afraid it's on my studio wall there must be some more of them Uh, ten of them We bought those in an antique shop in France, do you remember? Yes, yeah. Not far from the house. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, iconic. So in a new place, Mm -hmm. we're probably about halfway through, aren't we, talking about everything? Oh, I thought it was more than that. Maybe, I don't know. We're up to 2012 anyway. Okay. So we were just talking about... um, the band getting back together with the original lineup for the first time in oh 15 years 17 years no how long would it have been 
not that long. When did you break up? Uh, 94. Yeah. You broke up in 94. Yeah. You briefly played with a band again in 2000, in 1999. Yeah. And then you left the band Mm -hmm. for... we talk about why you left the band? I think we did. Yeah, we we did. did. Yeah. Yeah. And so 12 years later... 12 years... You right. got the phone call. Well, no, you didn't get a phone call. Somebody sent you an article in the Sun yes, that the band right. was reforming with all the original lineup, and that was the first that you heard of it. Yeah, that was Sean's uh, way of getting the band back together. Yeah, hey, it worked though, didn't it? It worked, yeah. 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 So we talked last time about you meeting up in the hotel and Sean not really speaking to anybody. Yeah. But it was really good to see everyone. Really good to see everyone. And you started recording in Latch's place in Warrington. Not recording, rehearsing. Rehearsing in in Warrington. Latch's place in Warrington. Yeah. And Latch was actually really surprised when he first heard them play. With any sort of musical movement, let's call it, for want of a better term, the Madchester movement, there's always a couple of artists who sort of transcend it and are the epitome of it. And it, you've got to say the Stone Roses in the Mondays, haven't you? Now, what I will say is when they first started rehearsing it, I was shocked at how good they were as a band because you don't... Well, one, when you're off your box on, on drugs, you're not like kind of got appreciating the musicianship. But two, because it was so produced in a sort of dance style, you never really got a feel for what that was like as a live band. But when you hear them in a room playing, you're like, holy holy shit, these can play. And then you went out on tour and it was a a sold-out tour, I believe. Outstanding success. Yeah, it was really good, wasn't it? How did you feel... Being back on stage all those years later with the, the original lineup of the band, um, uh, and being sober, completely wow. sober, yeah, clean and sober, uh, it was terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> it was. It really was. It was terrifying. But then nerves disappear like halfway through the first song right. when you know that, that the sound's correct and yeah. everything's at the right volume. Author, broadcaster, culture vulture and all-round beautiful human John Robb has been around the Monday since the very early days. Paul always used to say that you had lovely skin, do you remember? <laughs> he did. Every time I met him, I've forgotten about that, yeah. <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> Well, you do. You don't look any older than you did 20 years ago, actually. I don't really do the rock and roll lifestyle unlike everybody else. But you do it differently, don't you? You do the healthy rock and roll version, don't you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I like to to feel good. I don't like to feel shit. The Happy Mondays were the second great act of Factory Records, you know. And it, it took the genius of Tony to understand that there was something there in a bunch of mad, scruffy kids... And he saw it, he saw there was something there. I think he saw that he had his own sex pistols, that's what he really wanted. And there was, there was a potential for controversy with Happy Mondays. But I think he also saw something beyond that as well. He saw a sophistication and an intelligence and an artfulness to the Happy Mondays that most other people didn't. They were just kind of these, this bunch of mad kids who were running around town. We used to rehearse next door to them in the boardwalk, like, this is super early. This must be about 84, 85, you know, just when they're coming. To, and then obviously I know the rehearsed in Salford before that. And they, they were just kind of this mad, leery looking gang who were always like, they rehearsed every single day. Whatever day you went in there, they'd be rehearsing. We thought, wow, these, these work really hard because most bands only ever rehearse about once a month. <laughs> and they're, they're always quite stoned. And they always play football on the street on Little Peter Street outside as well. So that, that was quite impressive. They, they seem to just do stuff together en masse all the time. Talk about the difference between playing sober and playing not sober. Oh, um, I play much better sober. Really? Yeah, yeah. You think you're playing better when you're off your nut, but um, I, I can certainly tell the difference. I can keep time better. John Robb has strong feelings on who's at fault for the addiction epidemic. We treat drug addicts not the right way. 
people feel ashamed to be drug addicts and I never look down on anybody who's got a drug problem because it's a weakness, it's an illness, you know, there's nothing wrong with having a weakness. You see, this, we're all northern males, we don't have any weaknesses or if we do, we don't tell anybody. <laughs> but there's nothing wrong with having a weakness and there's nothing wrong with being susceptible to, be, to heroin or whatever, you know, and, but a lot of these guys, they were too embarrassed to talk about it, you know, or, or they felt ashamed, you know, they shouldn't feel ashamed, you know, they, they should... You know, they should, people should encourage them to find help, you know, or support, support, you know, stuff like that. It should not be punished for it. It's, it's not a punishable offence, is it? You know, the, the punishment should be dealt out to people who created the environment so bad that they only escape from very smart kids like Paul, like Sean, like Bez, you know, what's to get into drugs, create mad drugs, you know. People taking the drugs are the victims, you know, and we should look after them. The Mondays are a kind of band that if someone is a bit out, it kind of adds to the charm. Yeah, but me and Gaz have always been tight. Yeah. You know, that leaves room for, or it left room for PD to kind of improvise and, and Mike Day to improvise. Right. But me and Gaz are always tight. The bass guitar is often the most important instrument in post-punk. It's, it's like, it would, it would swing, it would play the melodies, it would drive the band along. People just think they're kind of this funny, cool band, but they don't realise that there's actually an, 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 there is an innate genius to what they do. But of course, you ask them that and they have no idea. You, if you say to Sean, your lyrics are brilliant, he just goes, no, the shit, I just make them up, they're a joke, you know. And Paul would be probably saying the bass lines, you know, that's great bass line. I don't know, I'm just playing the bass. I mean, maybe those are the best kind of bands, the bands that have no, no idea of how fucking brilliant they are. And maybe that was a brilliant to Tony, the first person who probably walked in the room and go, fuck me, this actually is genius. And the band are going, who's this lunatic off the telly? We're not genius, we're just messing about. But all that messing about led the Mondays in that reunion tour to play some really far-flung and exotic places that Mark, the Mondays guitarist, remembers only too well. I don't know if Paul's told you about China. 150, 200,000 people in a field in the middle of nowhere. Um, and we had seven amps, none of them worked. The equipment was crap. Paul and Sean's mum, Linda, and her best friend, drummer Gaz Whelan's mum, Sandra, have spent a lot of time backstage at the Monday shows. But Linda insists that, unlike their two boys, neither her nor their cooler-than-cool dad, Derek, overindulged when they were their age. No, I never on. drank till I was nearly 40. And that Give is on. the only... You don't no, believe it, Andrew. No, no, no that is the honest truth. I never that. liked it. Did Mim you ever have a no, baby sham or a... Never. Um, and I don't, as soon as we started playing, everybody buggered off. <laughs> because Derek's family wasn't when a drink. When you were 15, did you not have never. a baby sham? No. Because you don't understand what the food is, because it's in Chinese. Um... We were starving. I never went for a Chinese meal there because I couldn't understand what I was fucking eating. My dad was a heavy drinker. My mother liked to drink. Yeah. Derek's what family. What were you? There was a McDonald's next to it. All I had was McDonald's for three days because I didn't understand what the food was. I didn't want to take a chance. I might be eating, like, you know, cat, dog, or whatever. So we had this... Um, the promoter said, oh, we've got, so we got burgers. Do you want a burger? Yeah, brilliant. Didn't find out till the next day. It was horse meat. I was determined I wouldn't end up like him. That's oh, what, really? yeah. That's what it was. Mm. Right. I mean, don't get me wrong, I love my dad to bits. But Derek liked to drink, didn't no, he? No, he didn't. Oh, Derek never drank. Never drunk. Yeah. If he had a can of lager, he'd be throwing up all over the place. Really? They think burger is just meat. Don't matter what it is. It's horrible. Before we were married, we went out with some friends who liked to drink and we went to the pub and I think he had two cans, two halves of lager. And when we got to my mum's house, oh my God, the next morning, the two kids that lived next door said, ooh, look what the birds have done. And it was him, he'd thrown up all over the place. Oh, really? No, he never, ever, he can't drink beer. We went to this bloody hotel that was falling to pieces. It's one of those you turn the tap on and the TV comes on. It was flooded on the floor. The breakfast, I'm not even going to start with a breakfast. It wasn't, you know, they thought English, egg and bacon. What the hell's that? But you, you had to eat it because there was nothing else to eat. So Derek had never really been a drinker. I was I very... Me then, <laughs> 
I remember you being physically sick the whole day of a show. Like if a show was coming up, it would yeah. start the day before. You'd start getting grumpy and irritable, mm-hmm. and you were just t- terribly nervous. Yeah. And, uh, so how how was it dealing with those nerves without the aid of drugs or alcohol? Well, I wasn't physically sick anymore. Oh, I don't wow. I don't puke before shows anymore. Wow! But, but one, when I'm, it must have been all along. It must have been the drinking drugs. But, it must have been. But what mechanism did you put in place in order to deal with the nerves without the crutch that you had before? Um, oh, I had people to call. Mm. Make phone calls, and sometimes I'd nip off to a a, a self help group. Yeah. Mhm. Before the show. Did you ever feel like you weren't going to be able to do it sober? Um. I think I did. No, no. I always knew I could do it sober. I always mm. knew. And how how was the feeling different of playing sober? Um. The feeling, God, it's like I don't know about the feelings. I kind of numb, numb myself, numb myself, and just get on with the job. Just get on with the uh, the playing and, and making sure everything's cool. I have a theory about why a lot of musicians are addicts, and I I feel like there must be such a tremendous high mm. playing in front of a massive amount of people, and then you come off stage, and then that isn't generating anymore. Yeah, but I, I, I say I'm numb. I'm numb at, at the beginning. Uh, but, yeah, by the time that it's the end of the show, um, there is a massive high. You and, know? Then and, it, and then I just have to sit down for about half an hour and yeah. not even speak to anybody. Yeah. Just come down slowly. So talk about what it's like when you've leave the you've done a great show you're sober and mm-hmm. you leave the stage what what exactly happens in the next hour after that well that's it i just sit down on my own for half an hour do you find a place to be on your own backstage sometimes or people you know, the band know me by now that you know just to leave me alone or uh, it, you know it's not every time i sit down for half an hour but most of the time mhm and in the olden days, what happened in that hour? As you oh, you just continue partying, continue what? drinking. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Continue drinking till you pass out. We've never talked about the groupie situation. I know I'm going back in time here. Yeah. But tell me a little bit. We never bit. really got groupies. We used to hear stories about other bands and groupies and stuff, and we were like, where's our groupies? You told me a story about a girl in the crowd once when you were doing a show. Oh, mouthing. Right, talk about that. Tell me that story. Well, one one show out of thousands. (laughs) Yeah, go on. She was mouthing at me, I want to fuck you, and then lifted her top up and showed me her tits. (laughs) Which I thought was pretty cool, but I, know, I could never find her after the show. Oh, I thought, didn't you instruct the security guy to find her? No. No, no. Oh, that's a bit of a design. I, know. I was expecting a big crescendo to that story. No, we never really got groupies. Really? Never. Is that because they weren't allowed back or because you didn't go and hunt them out? Like, um, I've no idea. I don't know why we didn't get... Maybe they was all scared of us. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. The groupies were certainly not as scared of the band as Paul and Sean's mum Linda was one day when they were still at school and Sean came home with a special gift. Somebody gave Sean some white mice and he brought them home. And I said, right, take them back. I can't, I said I'd have them now. I said, right, I'm going to Nana's and I'm not coming back to the white mice. I've gone out of this house. Latch's dad ended up eating his lunch one day with Paul and Gaz during rehearsals. My dad come one time, uh, just just happened to call in. I think they were on a dinner break. My dad was brilliant. My dad's one of them fellas talk to anyone. 
I said, take them to school. Tell Miss Kenny you need a pet for the classroom. <laughs> so <clears throat> they're having a dinner break. Gaz and, and Paul were sat in one of the diner booths just eating. Gaz was probably eating something like hummus. <laughs> she said, we got a cage for them. And this blooming mice, these two white mice, caused havoc, oh, in, the, my phone. havoc in the classroom. And Paul would have been eating a pie, probably. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Going off because I'm dead quick now. No, you I'm know, Derek's family weren't a bit like mine. And Derek had never seen a family like mine. Whilst smoking a cigarette, Again, that I could never understand. Eating and smoking at the same time. It, again, I was like, how do you do that? And he was like, oh, I fucking love it. I was like, I can't do that. I can't eat and smoke at the same time. One after the other, yeah. I was the only grandchild for, what, nine years. Auntie Mary had all yeah. those children. Yeah, we're almost So my done, cousins yeah. are there, Sean and so Paul's are you age. ready now? Yeah. And that's why, you know, we've, they thought Derek was their big brother. So anyway, my, my dad called in this day and he must have said hello to him and they said hello back. So to my dad, that's an invitation to sit down and chat. So he, he ended up sitting and chatting to Gaz and Paul for about, probably about an hour. Give me half an hour, would that be okay? Right. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, yeah, start coming now then because it'd be quarter to before you get there. It'd be 15 minutes before you get here, won't it? Yeah, yeah, because we're almost finished now anyhow, yeah. Oh, get your tea first. All right, have your tea first then, yeah. And let me know when you finish your tea, yeah. Can you just move your bag off the table? Oh! <laughs> <laughs> your fault, that. My fault. Hey, the cameraman's that. fault. I blame you. I'll take that. All right. Yeah, I'll have to get going in, in about half an hour. She's right. just going to make some tea before she comes. I suppose the focus is more on drinking than... Yeah. Partying with girls. Yeah, more drinking and drugging. Yeah. It was more more my style. So in that tour when you just all got back together again, was there pressure on you to take drugs again? Uh, I got offered drugs every day. Who by? Like what? Obviously, without naming them, what kind of people would offer you drugs? Um, just people that was around. Right. And these people that knew you were sober and trying to stay clean. Mm-hmm. Really? Oh, yeah. And why do you think that was? They probably didn't believe I was clean and sober. Right. I'd never, they'd never seen anyone do it. Right. They probably just didn't believe it. Yeah. Yeah. Did you feel like a party pooper when you said no? No, not at all. Felt great. Really? Yeah. What do you think was the turning point that made you able to say no to that? Therapy. Yeah. Seven years of therapy. But what did you discover in that therapy that was the key? Um, that I can live life without drinking drugs. Yeah. Is, uh, it a, is it a happier life? Oh, much happier, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. In what sense? Um, I don't wake up depressed every morning. <laughs> <laughs> I want to uh, drink again to get rid of the depression. Right. Mm-hmm. Do you think... Do you think the majority of addicts are just trying to medicate pain? Yeah, it could be pain from childhood that are trying to medicate. Mm -hmm. You know, everyone's got pain from the past in some kind of way. Mm -hmm. And it just... Um, doing that job allows you to drink and drug all the time, mm -hmm. if that's what you want to do. It's not like you've got to be in the office at nine o'clock. Paul always kept his drug using away from his best friend, Gaz Whelan, the Monday's drummer, and for good reason. About a week before... It wasn't a week before he died, because he'd just come over, but a week before he left, before, like, last time I saw him, and I was saying to him, I said, you know what, I said, and heroin, I said to him, it, it, it's, it's, it's the answer for me. If I had heroin, because we talk about anxiety and depression and I said you know what I said if I had it it'd be game over I'd never I'd never I'd, I'd never need anything else it'd be the perfect answer for me and he said to me I know that's why I kept it away from you you, you should never have it it's the perfect drug for you that's why you you know I kept it and he used to keep it away from me he said I knew guys that'd be it you'd fall in love with it and it'd be it'd be the answer to all your problems 
I went and I said, I know. And I said, but it'd be not a whole lot of new problems. I said, you'd have, caught, you'd have saved me fucking years of stress, though. And he went, no, it's not the answer. But it's funny, you know, it's, it's funny, but yeah. Yeah, he never, never, ever did, ever, ever. And he was always, even, even when later on when he'd do it, or if he was, his, his prescription medication, he wouldn't do it in front of me. He, t- he took some anxiety tablet, read and I saw, what's that? And he went, nothing, nothing, nothing. And I knew what it was because I saw it in his prescription, his anxiety thing. He was embarrassed about it. Tell me about, again, we're jumping back in time here, but in the early days, how easy it was, like where the drugs all came from and how easy it was to just take as much as you wanted. Oh, God, well, back in the day, the dressing room was full of people, full Mm -hmm. of... uh, whatever you want to call them, liggers, friends, acquaintances, you know, there'd be like 20, 30 people in the dressing room, mm-hmm. you know, when it was supposed to be for the for the band, for the mm. six, seven, seven of us, six of us? Seven. Seven of us. Um, you know, 20 or 30 people all doing the thing. Right. So it was just around all the time. And their former tour manager, Anthony Murray, also known as Muzza, remembers how things were only too well. You have them groupies and the angers on. They give you shit drugs and they give it you for a reason that's not, you know, I used to always say, look, you don't rely on these fucking people who are getting the dressing room to bring you gear because they're going to give you shit. It's not going to, it's it's going to be shit anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yes, but they'd all be up to all kinds of little deals on their own. They had their own people bringing it because they all had groupies who would bring them drugs just to be around them right. you know what I mean it was a job for me. if that makes any sense it sounds mad now when I think about it it was crude but it was what it was then what about promoters and, and people in the industry like record companies did they ever bring drugs to no them? record companies the only thing that happened that way was first time we was second time we was going over to America people that was around said what special catering does the band want <laughs> and special catering meant what right. drugs did he do? Wow. So, so it's actually somebody's job to go and get that all for you. Yeah, it was. And they did a really good job as well. <laughs> Every show. Wow. Every show it was waiting. But on their first trip to America, when they were still being managed by Phil Sachs, they had to sniff them out themselves and in the process learned a hard lesson. The first time they went to the States... Uh, I took them to the States. Um, we played Danceteria or something like that in New York. And um, I wanted to take them all to Carnegie Deli or Katsu's Deli. And we ended up going to McDonald's because that was the only food they could trust. Um, I always remember Bez got stopped by the police for drinking uh, out of a bottle in the street in a bag and they poured it down the grid. And then... We stayed in the Chelsea Hotel. Um, Tony thought it would be great because of the history of it. Um, But it was awful, awful hotel. You know, three beds in a room. The water wouldn't drain out the bath. And I always remember saying to Tony, you can put the band in the Chelsea in future, but put me in a different hotel, please. But anyway, at about two o'clock in the morning, Sean and Paul and PD, I think it was, said... We're going down the Bronx. I thought, what are you going down the Bronx for at two o'clock in the morning? Oh, we've heard about this new drug called crack. We're going to go and give it a go. And they came back at five in the morning and all went, oh, we're never doing that ever again. Um, Famous last words, eh? Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Did you ever fear what you were doing at the time? Did you ever think, oh, this isn't going to end well? No, you think you're invincible. Right. No fear at all. Yeah, because on the surface it looks like you are invincible, doesn't it? Mm-hmm, yeah. And, and when you're younger, you think you're invincible anyway. Mm. Did you ever think about the future? Did you ever project yourself to when you were pushing 60, like you are now? No. I, yeah, I probably... I, and I know I thought I would be dead. I thought I'd be dead at 27 oh, to join the 27 <laughs> Club. Then it was like, oh, I'm not dead. Uh, maybe I'll be dead by 30. And I hit 30 and like, oh, I'm still alive. Then it was like 40. And uh, now I'm 57. Yeah. And still going strong. Yeah. So maybe I'm not going to die young because I'm old now. <laughs> <laughs> Which, talking about death, that was a surprise. That keyboard player out of Depeche Mode oh. was only 60. Oh, wow, I didn't hear about that. Yeah, he died yesterday. Oh. Don't know. What was his name? Uh, Fletcher, something Fletcher. Fletcher, they called him. Do you know him? No, no, I just read about it. I know David Garns had his issues with drugs in the past. Oh, he? yeah, he's super clean and sober. And was the keyboard player? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Well, that's sad, isn't it? Mm. There have been a lot of deaths recently of our... Kind of age, yeah. In yeah. the music industry, a lot of people mm -hmm. kind of hitting home now, isn't it? Yeah, that's why it's even better to be clean and sober. Yeah, no chance of overdosing. No, you should <laughs> overdose on Red Bulls. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so back to 2012 or forward to 2012. Mm -hmm. um, you're playing. You did a tour with the new lineup, which was a big success, and then yeah. you played a load of festivals that summer. Mm -hmm. Do you remember any festivals in particular? No, but you just told me about one. <laughs> Camp Festival. Camp Festival, yeah, when we took the kids there. Apparently. Yeah, that was really nice. It's but weird. I've still got a bad memory, even without drinking drugs. Yeah. Still, I can't remember that festival. At all. At I'll all. show you the pictures you might remember. Yeah, that'll, I'm sure that'll yeah. jog it. But um, bad memory. Yeah. Really bad. Fish oil, that's what you need. Yeah, I like fish oil. You take Omega it? 3, I used to. I'd... Why don't you take it now if you, if you can't remember to take it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so um, coming towards the end of 2012. Yeah, by then, PD has left the band. Paul Davis has Talk left. Talk about that. Talk about why that happened. He, um, I think it was his own personal. It was his personal choice, you know. It's um, he had issues. I think he was he wasn't very well, mm -hmm. and um, he he just didn't like doing it anymore. I just got out because uh, I wasn't feeling too good. I was I was doing too much going out and staying out and clubbing when I should have been rehearsing. And then something happened and I thought, I can't do it. I'd rather be home with my beagle. I just got a dog in, we came back from Japan and I was like, I don't think I can do it again. Did you respect that decision? Yeah, yeah. Um, How do you feel about him now? Oh, he's great. Yeah? Yeah, I miss him. And Monday's guitarist Mark Day misses him too. Yeah, we all love PD, he was a laugh. Oh, do you? Yeah. Why yeah, he's hilarious. He I've got his number the other week off Gaz. Yeah. Gaz, Gaz met up with him a few months ago. And how was he? Great. Yeah, he was really oh, good, really happy, in a really good space. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Me and your mum texted Mikey Lights the other night. Did you? Yeah. Did he reply? He did. Did he? And he's now working as a your old lighting director from the early days. He was a genius, wasn't he? Uh, who's... Uh, Mikey Lights. Oh, Mikey Lights, yeah. Yeah, he was oh, a genius. He was a genius. You went on to do Oasis for years. Yeah. It's a, a shame of... that the band never brought him back in 2012, really, but guess what he's working on now? Um... A music programme? No, he's working on Bridgerton. 
the drama. Oh, right. Yeah, so he's doing really well for himself. Oh, that's and good. Apparently he said, you won't recognise me now, I've had all my hair cut off. Really? He's gone all corporate, yeah. Oh, and I don't wow. know if he's still got his missing front tooth. Oh, God, he'll look um, completely different with yeah, short hair and I know. teeth. Yeah, mm-hmm. so he's going to go and see your mum next month. He's in Manchester. Oh, great. Anyway, I don't know if I want to talk about this because it's too harrowing. Mm. So, the end of 2012. Mm hmm. <laughs> Chico. Yeah, I can't talk about it. You talk about it. At the end of 2012, I came home from England and you said, Look in Chico's mouth, there's something there. Mm-hmm. And I remember. Him facing me, you was behind him, and he opened his mouth and I looked in it and mouthed over to you, that's cancer. Do you remember that? Yeah, there was this giant lump on giant his tonsil. Giant lump, lump on his tonsil. Yeah. And I instantly knew it was cancer. And I was like, you always jump to the negative conclusions with anything. You're complete hypochondriac. And I just I- thought... You're being really melodramatic here. I know, I am an hypochondriac, but when me, Sean and Bez used to live together in a flat, the flat downstairs was once occupied by a doctor who still got his medical magazines delivered to the address, and I used to read them and look at photographs of cancers. Oh, right. That's how I knew it was cancer. Because I remembered what these photographs looked like in the medical uh, yeah. medical magazines. It just looked like I remember he came to me like, "Mom, mom, look at my look at the, my look at my throat, look at my throat," and I mm. looked, and it was just like a big lump on his tonsil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I thought, oh, it's just a an infection. It's just mm. a throat infection. Yeah. And uh, took him to. No, we, we were going away that weekend. I thought, oh, it'll be fine. Hmm. He'll get rid of it. And we went away that weekend. And then and it grew bigger. About two days after we got back, I had another look at it. And it was like it hadn't changed. Hmm. And I took him to the clinic at CVS. Oh, right. Uh, which is like a, far, a big pharmacy type place here. Mm-hmm. And um, there was a young nurse who we saw. And... Uh, she said, oh, yeah, it looks like an infection. I'll prescribe some antibiotics. And I said to her, you don't think it could be a tumour, do you? And she said, no, no, oh. no, no, laughed at me. Oh. And I said, well, how do you know that? And she said, I've been to school. Oh, how wrong was she? Yeah. So um, she did, did say, to be fair, though, she did say, if it's not gone away in three to five days, come back. Mm-hmm. And... It hadn't gone away in three days, so instead of going back to her, I took him to a proper doctor, a Bulgarian guy who was really kind. Mm-hmm. And he prescri- he thought it was uh, glandular fever. Mm. Oh, because at, by this point he'd started having a lump grow out the side of his neck. Oh, I don't know. And I thought that. that was a swollen gland yeah. caused by an infection in his tonsil. Um, so he said, oh, I think it might be glandular fever, mono yeah. they call it here. Mm-hmm. So he, he's tested for a throat infection and glandular fever. Mm. And then about two days later, the surgery rang me and it was a woman and she said, oh, great news. He's tested negative for mono and negative for a throat infection. Oh. And I put the phone down and I thought, that isn't good news. No. That isn't good news. So I rang the doctor back and spoke to the doctor. I was like, I've just been told that we have good news, that these tests are negative. And he was like, oh, no, hell no, come right in right away. Oh, wow. So, and you were away at this point. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah. we dashed to the doctors. Oh, speak, come here. <laughs> come here. Here he is. We're just talking about you. Just talking come all here. about you. Just come and say come hello here. to the camera. <laughs> Giving away the ending, aren't we? Yeah. Here, Look, he's still down. here. Thank Don't fuck for that. Don't go next to your dad. I've got Look in there. Pull that chair, pull that table towards us. What, what table? That little ten, you can sit down. Oh, right. well, he's not, I don't think he wants to say, to he's just going to say hello. Not really, he's going to take a shower. All right, he's going to go and take a shower, but maybe he'll come and talk to us in a bit. But yeah, hold on. Fuck yeah. <laughs> there he is. That wasn't planned at all, was it? No. All right, see you later. All right. Did you want something? I need a towel. Oh. There are no t- Where are all the towels? 
They've all that. There was a massive pile of towels in the cupboard, and they went overnight. There's one there, blue one. Can you see? But we need some towel. I don't know where they've all vanished to. All right, come back later when you've had your shower. Mm. <coughs> that was serendipitous. Yeah. Okay, so um, so he said we need to get you to a specialist. And I, I, had I gone away You'd at this gone point? gone away at this point. And, yeah. And I was trying to stay calm, but yeah, inside yeah. I was panicking like mad. And I knew all along it was cancer. You didn't. You didn't. I, By this point, you... No. no you, I knew. You said at the beginning, but you you didn't know for sure. Well, you confirmed well, no one knew it. for sure. No, well, you confirmed it ten minutes before yeah, I was about on. to go on stage. You're jumping ahead here. Right. So took him to a specialist and the specialist said, oh, yeah, it's, I think it's a strange infection, cat scratch fever, he said he thought it was. Um, and so he had an operation to have his tonsil removed. Hmm. And uh, he was crying the night before and he said, am I going to die? Oh, my God. Because he was God. really, he wasn't scared of cancer, he was scared of having his tonsil out. Oh, so I, I had to say no, mm-hmm. and he said, promise me. Oh. Yeah, it was awful. Oh. So I was like, you're going to be fine, you're going to be fine. Yeah. And me, me and Sonny took him to the hospital, and when he was in having his operation, me, me and Sonny were sat in the restaurant of the, of the hospital where mm-hmm. he was, mm-hmm. and Sonny tur- he turned to me, Sonny's our oldest son, turned to me with a really serious face and said, Mum, can I ask you something? And I was oh. like, oh, no, what's he going to say now? I said, yeah, OK, you can ask me anything. He said, what kind of Campbell's soup do you, do you like the best? <laughs> <laughs> nice deflection. Yeah. Like, Nicely deflected yeah. from the situation. Anyway, he came round from his, from his operation. I have a very funny memory of... Uh, we went in the recovery room and they had a video on... And it was a Jim Carrey movie. Mm-hmm. And just as the nurse came in, there was this line about his penis or something. <laughs> the boys were completely mortified. <laughs> Chica would tell that story better than me. Anyway, so then they tested for whatever they thought it was. Um, and it was negative. Lymphoma, that was it. The, mm. the, the fear was it was lymphoma and it tested negative for lymphoma. And he said, this is beyond my specialty now. We're going to have to refer you to UCLA. Wow. So it was four days before Christmas. You were in England. Mm-hmm. Um, we were having someone come to stay with us for Christmas. Oh, yeah. Uh, our friend Pat, who um, was the husband of our dear childminder, mm-hmm. Betty, who mm-hmm. passed away from breast cancer about a year before. And the previous Christmas, he'd spent Christmas by his dead wife's grave yeah so we invited him to come and spend christmas with us to have yeah. a happy christmas yeah so pat was traveling back with you like on christmas eve i think it was <laughs> that you were you were going to come back so the 20th of december was this clinic appointment in ucla yeah uh, and i hadn't got the house ready bought a tree but i hadn't decorated it and uh she took one look at him and she said, you're not going home today. We're going to have to admit you. We need to find out what this is. I was like, wow. no, but Christmas is coming. And she said, no, you don't understand. This is really serious. Oh, my God. Um, I must have been terrifying for and you. And so I phoned you. Um, and at this point, it was... There was a very, very small chance that it was an infectious... A weird infectious disease. Mm-hmm. But that was like a really tiny chance, a 5% chance of, of it being that and a 95% chance of it being some kind of cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, but because it was over Christmas, it took ages for them to actually get a proper diagnosis. So I remember calling you. You were with Jay, remember? That's right. Yeah, so I, tell was me back, about I that. was backstage at the Roundhouse about 10 minutes before the show started. You called me and mm-hmm. confirmed it was cancer. Well, no, they said that the likelihood is... It's cancer, yeah. Yeah. And I, like I said before, I knew it was. Yeah. So ten minutes before I'm about to go on stage, I get this news from you, and it was like, oh, my God, I've got to do a show. Paul's friend Jason had met up with him earlier that day. I remember they were playing at the Roundhouse, 
in Camden, yeah. which is one of my favourite venues. And uh, I was really, really looking forward to the gig and meeting up with Paul. And we'd, we'd said that we was going to grab some food before the gig. Usual thing, come up to the hotel, meet me, and um, we'll go out and get some food. And then you can come and see Soundcheck. And um, <clears throat> I remember being in the room of this hotel with him. And he 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 told me that that um, Chico hadn't been very well, and um, he was expecting a call from you. And I remember you calling, and him getting the news that Chico had cancer. And I think at the time, Millie, my daughter, would have been about one or two years old, and I was just I I, I couldn't I couldn't get my head round. He came off the phone. He was in shock. And he was like, I don't know what to do. And it was, it was, it was the most awful, it was the most awful gig I'd ever been to because he obviously played that night. And um, I remember being at the front watching him, thinking, what is going through his mind right now? How did he take the news? What did he do? He was he was not good. He was crying. We cuddled. We had a hug. I remember that. Um yeah, he was devastated, like you would be. And then the, the next year, did, did you see much of him during the next year when Chico was in treatment? Because I know he was going back to England. He stayed in touch quite a lot. And obviously he was keeping me updated on his treatment and everything. Um, I can't remember if he played any more time, if he came over to play in that time. He did. When... He did quite a lot. He had to keep going back. There was a few gigs that I went to see him at Cambridge and stuff like that and but it was just um it was heartbreaking you know I couldn't you know because honestly you know hand on my heart you're two of the loveliest people I've ever met in my life and to to know that you was going through that with your child was just I couldn't get my head around it you know I couldn't understand how you functioned and how you kind of just Blows my mind still to this day, you know. Yeah, you just do it because there's no choice. (laughs) You don't know what you can do until you have to do it. Yeah, yeah. It's afterwards that you crumble, I think. Well, it's afterwards that I crumbled, really, you know, because you're on on adrenaline, you're on your reserves, you're kind of firing on all cylinders because you, you have to. And then once you're able to relax, that's when you just you know, seize up really, which is what happened to me. Yeah. Because I just wanted to get him on a plane back to you. You know, I was like, Paul, just go now. Just get on a plane. I'll run you to the airport. I think he was coming back like two days later or something. I I think he he already got a flight booked, I think, on Christmas Eve. I filed it away in the back of my brain somewhere Mm -hmm. that that it um, it was more or less confirmation. I filed it away and went on stage and did a great show. Yeah. I came off and, and then unfiled it and completely broke down crying. Um, but still having a feeling that everything was going to be okay. Yeah. I, I kind of knew everything was going to be okay. Mm-hmm. I, I applied the rules not the rules, but the principles that I'd learned from a self-help help group, oh. which hadn't really helped me too much in dealing with living with an addict, but it really helped me deal with my kid having cancer. Mm. Like, you didn't cause it, you can't cure it. You have yeah. to accept yeah. and, what you cannot change. And seek outside help, which and you that, which was doing. And have the courage to change the things you can and the wisdom to know the difference. Do you remember... Flying in and going straight to the hospital. And do you remember what happened? Flew back from England. Hang on. Flew back from England, went straight home, and got the car, and drove to the hospital. And uh, yeah, walked into the hospital room and got the shock. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Of, shock, of all shocks, he was there, tubes all over him. <sighs> and... Uh, I, I crumbled. Do you remember what you did? I went straight into the bathroom. Yeah, and? And cried a lot. And you puked up. And puked up. And I was mad with you because I didn't want Chico to see you having that kind of a Well, reaction. that's why I went into the bathroom. Yeah. That's why I went straight in there. It was shocking. Yeah. It was a real shock. And Paul and Sean's mum, Linda, and her best friend, Sandra, were also in shock. Do you remember how that affected you, both of you? Terrible, because yeah. we were so far away. Yeah. And, oh, it was, it was, I remember Paul on the phone to me that mm. night and he couldn't talk to me for crying. Mm. And then Derek heard me mm. and he came, you know, to the phone and it was, it was awful. It really was that. We were so far away. And Jacob had not long moved into his own flat. And that night he came round and he said, I want to come back home. So I said, oh, that was quick. He said, no, I need to go out to see mm -hmm. Chico. He said, and if I'm paying rent on this flat, he said, I'm never going, I'll never save the fare up. He said, I've got to come back home. So I said, well, when you went, we said you can come back any time. And he came back home. And I thought, and then Amelia came out and I thought, do you know what? I'm glad they have. I couldn't have coped. Mm. I really couldn't have coped with seeing Chico oh, like that. Because don't forget, I was just getting over having my lung out. And I really was heartbroken, saying, I wish it was me. It can come back to me. I'm old, you know. I know, it's, I know, yeah. It really yeah. did affect me because I knew what the poor child must have been going through because mm -hmm. of what, when they told me that yeah. I'd got lung cancer, yeah. the way it hit me, I was numb. And it, it affected me more than... I can imagine. Oh, I ever told. I ever told yeah. you. Yeah. It really did. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. He was hooked up to um, a heart monitor, mm -hmm. and the heart monitor kept beeping. And I didn't know why. I didn't really understand what was going on with that. And I discovered afterwards that the reason he was hooked up to this heart monitor was because the tumour wasn't only at the back of his throat and coming out the side of his neck, but it was wrapped around his carotid artery. Oh and the pressure of the tumour was affecting his the blood supply to his heart. Oh, God. And uh, Thank God I didn't know that. I know. I didn't know that until afterwards. Um, so we flew Jacob and Amelia, his your older two kids in and they flew in on Christmas Day. That's right. Do you remember that? Yeah. Don't remember picking them up from the airport though, but I must have done. Yeah, you must have done. And mm. I remember they came and were all shocked and Christmas morning we had all these presents for him and he just didn't have the energy or any kind of motivation or enthusiasm to open any of them. So he was home from hospital? No, 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 he was in hospital. In the hospital. Yeah. We took the presents to him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've... And his main present was his new BMX bike. I know. Which he'd been really looking forward to having. Yeah, but yeah. we didn't know whether he'd ever be able to ride it or not. Yeah. No. And I remember that uh, <laughs> the fire brigade came and there was a... I can't tell this without crying. Oh, that <laughs> Father Christmas came mm. through <laughs> through the hospital and... And I said, oh, Father Christmas is here. I was trying to, like, he was only 10, so he was kind of young enough to still believe in Father Christmas. I said, he wants to meet you, he wants to meet you. Oh. And he said, 
I'm only going to meet him if it's the real one. Oh. And I was like, it is, it is, it's the real. And the guy was a really brilliant Father Christmas. Oh, that's good. And he came in with a yeah. present for him. Oh. <laughs> you, you better talk. Oh, I can't talk. <laughs> oh. That was really bad. So anyway, um, it was about, it was about, I'll tell you when it was actually, it was on my 50th birthday, um, when we, which was four days after Christmas. It's funny because every, everyone had been saying to me, oh, I have a party, you need to have a party for your 50th. And I just thought, oh. Mm. No, I'm not. Can you imagine if I booked a party? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and it was on that day that the doctors came in and they were like, right, we have a diagnosis now. And it was rhabdomyosarcoma. Mm. It took them a while to discover what Yeah, kind it was because of... the biopsy results took ages. Mm. And, uh, and he said, there's no time to waste. We start chemo tonight. Wow. Journalist and author John Robb was devastated when he heard the news of Paul's death. I was sad, of course I'm sad, you know, because it was always nice bumping into him, you know, he's one of the good guys and that, and I think it's always a shock when somebody... I think it's when you... Because you, you, you know these people have seen around and you're on the same world as them, so there's a shock from that. And also because they're quite well-known, so they're always in your thoughts somewhere, aren't they? Because they're always cropping up. So you kind of feel like you know them better than you actually know them because they're, they're omnipresent. And there was a shock in the scene, of course there was. All great bass players are a spine of a band, but a really great bass player is something else. It's, it's on top of that. And the, dan the danceability of the Mondays comes from the bass lines. And it, it's, it, part of the uniqueness of Happy Mondays is because it's driven by the bass as well. And also because he, he, he just stood there like rock solid just playing the bass. It was something, the way he stood and the way he kind of moved, the way his persona on the stage really matches the sound of his bass lines. One night I was actually, when I met him, um, I was walking down Oldham Street uh, and we were chatting away and this really mad psychotic bloke was really staring like that. And he got nearer and nearer and then he goes, I'm going to kill you. And he started prodding me in the chest and it's just like this mad, really mad conversation. And it's like, and like Paul looked a little bit like, oh God, what's going on? And I was thinking, what the fuck's going on? I didn't know who this bloke was. And this kind of went off this weird standoff for about 10 minutes, but I didn't really want to go away because I was having a conversation. So, look, mate, I'm just having a chat with my mate here, you know? And, it's, and the bloke was really staring like, he's like a caring community type character. So that, that, that went on a bit, it was a bit, a bit edgy, you know? So uh, that was nothing to do with Paul. That was just because we happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. It, it definitely felt like this guy was going to like go, Pretty like crazy, but, but probably the craziest thing was he was that intense. And, and then in the end, after about 15 minutes of really staring while we were still trying to have this conversation, he kind of just wandered off. <laughs> Every time he met me, he used to say I had really nice skin, <laughs> which is like really unsolved thing to say, isn't it? You know. <laughs> Coming up on the show next week, I remember on. Christmas Eve, you sent a text to Sean saying it's been confirmed Chico's got cancer, and he yeah. replied, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to say, so he never said anything. Don't want to see a child like go through that. You know, when you're a parent, it's. It, did all your kids, you know, even if they're yours and Paul's, they, 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 you've got to still look at them like they're children and you've got to love them, haven't you? And do what you can to protect them. And I remember me and Chico that night, just what, what a joy it was being with him, and because he's a joyous person, isn't he? By, yeah. by nature, and you know, I, rem I remember he had no shoes on, he was still, you know, keeping his feet off the ground as best he could. Um, that's quite a happy Monday's thing to do that. I remember as Joy Division once, we did a gig at Oldham Tower Club, and nobody turned up. Oh. No <gasps> And I remember the guy was sweeping the floor, and every time that, he, that we finished a song, he'd turn round to us and go, do you know any Hendrix? Do you regret picking up heroin with hindsight now? Yes, I regret it, but where would I be if I hadn't have done? Mm. What, what space would I be in right now? Mm -hmm. Don't know. We're 
starting out with this really brilliant track called Hey Man, which was written by, once more, Matt Cheadle, Eddie Gronfier, and of course, Paul Ryder. Big thanks to the lovely Lee Duval and Dean Whitaker in Australia for becoming our new patrons of the show. It's brilliant to have you with us. If you have not joined, there's still time to sign up at the founding members rate, which is going to run out at the end of this week. So hurry up and sign up and join the club at patreon.com forward slash the Paul Ryder tapes. Go to our website, which is paulrider.tv, to check out our merch in the shop and join in the conversation on our socials. If you'd like to watch this podcast episode on video, then go to our YouTube channel, which is called Glistening Stories, where you'll find video versions of all of the episodes so far. And this one will drop there next Sunday. And I will be live in the chat, as usual, with Paul's youngest son, Chico. Lots and lots of love to you all, especially to our patrons, and have a really brilliant week, and we're going to be back at the same time next week. Thank you to all our fab guests, and as usual, of course, big love and respect to the star of the show, the late, brave and great Paul Anthony Ryder. Amen. in your shoe brilliant they should come back then maybe I should do that <laughs>